It's an honour to welcome to the show a national hero and fearless adventurer. It's Ross Kemp. Welcome to Home Time. Thank you for having me, guys. <laughs> I was uh, talking to my 16-year-old teenage son uh, this morning, and uh, he said, "You're going in early." I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Well, um, you know, we're speaking to uh, speaking to Ross Kemp. You won't know who he is. Uh, and he goes, "Yeah, I do. He's that uh, he's that tough guy that will do anything." I think he's uh, <laughs> tough guy. He's um, <laughs> he's met ISIS dad. <laughs> and I went, "Oh well, then you, you do know who he is." Yeah, I've uh, met that, ISIS. That's, that's quite an epitaph. Tough no, guy that would do anything. Yeah, do you know? If only I had that kind of rep in my own family. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sort of dad. Go and do it, dad. Where is this, dad? Yeah. Go get it now, dad. I'm hungry. Do they appreciate what you've done? Do you know what I mean? You're not at all, and and I don't expect them to either. I mean, the ten year old couldn't be less bothered, yep. and the six year old sort of has an idea but not interested, and the twin girls who are four are only interested in anything pink and unicorny yeah. so I don't I don't. at the moment I don't fit the bill Ross Kemp on uniform but they're ruling uh, out they're ruling yeah. out pink unicorns because <laughs> I could possibly be an expert on that subject by the end of the year I tell you what though Ross you, you're into interesting stuff do you know what I mean so there's never going to be Ross Kemp's railway wildlife do you know what I mean? So, where you're into war, conflict, danger, where does that come from? Is that something from reading certain books when you were a kid and you know, comic book adventures? Maybe, maybe that. I think you know, history always takes a gallop in times of conflict. Um, and what I found out making this diving program was that just how many members of my family were actually in the navy, and the fact that you know, sadly, two of them died on board HMS Hood when it was blown up by the Bismarck at the beginning of the Second World War. That I knew my great grandfather Pop had been in the navy an awfully long time, and that he was shipwrecked twice during the Second World War. I didn't realise that he'd been shipwrecked during the First World War. You'd think you'd give up, wouldn't you? <laughs> He's got form. You know what I mean? Shipwrecked once, I survived it. No, I'll just carry on doing that all the way through the Second World War. And he went missing. Uh, my nan thought her dad was effectively dead for at least three months during the Second World War. And then wow. he turned up on the on the doorstep wearing a US Army uniform. He'd been on a on a US uh, island out in the Pacific. Oh, my word. What character? So, yeah, it was a bit. And, um, yeah, he liked to pipe. And apparently he even tried to kind of, I think he sold his, tried to sell his watch the day before he died to put some money on a horse. So he was a bit of a boy. <laughs> bit of a boy. Didn't know where I'd get it from. So that was pop. And um, and I found out that my, you know, my great, great, so there's a bit of who do you think you are in this thing? Because um, my Great, his father had come over from Ireland, set up a barge company in Portsmouth, um, bought a pub called the Ship and Castle, which still exists in Portsmouth to this day. It's oh, right wow. by the ferry terminal, and um, and promptly had fifteen children, one of whom was my great grandfather. Oh wow, a lively family! It's a very personal show, though. This as a result of that, and certainly, like you know, the the the, the first one in the series where you 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 even like you you got your mum on on it talking yeah. and going through pictures and like but as as a result like you know Bush was saying about all the things that you've been into but has has diving wrecks been something that you've you've had as a little bit of a list of an idea it, of a program to do because of the result of how personal it is it, but it was wasn't on my bucket list but it sort of is now I'm glad it's in there but, um yeah. yeah um the the experience of the training even i mean it took two and a half months to get up to hse health and safety executive qualification which is your commercial license uh in media diving i said i'm not about to go to a north sea oil rig but i, mean, I remember um a real rea reality check so i'd gone from open water which is sort of your commercial sort your, your kind of basic holiday resort diving thing to advanced diver to advanced rescue and then it got really serious when the HSE guys turned up. And all of a sudden, full face mask, different type of breathing apparatus with a switching block and a bailout. Oh, uh, you're wearing a uh, harness, a bungee harness, so they can lower you and pull you out of the water. You start using
using rope signals, tying different bow lines and stuff like that. And it all got quite serious. And I was kneeling. I remember I'm kneeling on top of a container that goes in the back of a lorry normally or on a, on a ship at about 20 metres in a pond outside of Heathrow. And I've got a radio inside my mask and I'm calling for bits of scaffolding to be dropped down on the bow line. Why I make a box scaffolding? And I'm going... What am I doing here? <laughs> I'm 50 years old. I should be sitting with my feet up yeah. watching television. I don't think that's ever going to happen to you, though, is it? Are you ever going to have an easy life, Ross? Do you know what I mean? According to my wife. No. <laughs> but, I mean, it's dangerous. I mean, when, when I was at school, I grew up in Brixham in Devon. Roger, yeah. So there's loads of wrecks off there where people go wreck fishing. My, one of my teachers, my science teacher, died uh, trapped in a wreck when they were wreck fishing. So there's huge dangers involved with this. Did you have to have like a long kind of thought before you agreed to go and do it? Because this is, you know, properly I mean, look, dangerous I think stuff. The train HSC level is so precise and the reason you are making a scaffolding is that if you can do that and concentrate on doing that then you're in control of your buoyancy and you know how to use your kit should you get snagged and obviously a lot of wrecks don't end up upright they end up upside down so when you go in there you're slightly disorientated because the bottom of the ship is the top of the ship um, and while all those things are happening, you've got to maintain your buoyancy. And if you do get snagged, you've got to be able to get out there. Now, there is a safety diver looking after me and the um, and the expert, right? Uh, the you know, the marine archaeologist. Um, but if you both get trapped, and people die sadly every mm. year wreck diving, so yeah. it's not without its jeopardy. But um, is that down to panicking? Is panicking one of the things you've got to try and use your like calm your brain? I, I think you know I got I, I got snagged when we were training and uh, I was at about 20 25 30 meters and yeah when you can't move and you can't see why you can't move they mm. had to get the safety diver in for me luckily I had loads of air anyway but yeah that can be a little bit of a, a, mo a twitchy moment um <laughs> but you know you, you you can get used to it the more and more you do anything it's like the more and more you go to a front line you, you, you can't guarantee your safety. No one can guarantee your safety. But the more you get used to it, the better you become at anticipating things that could go probably wrong. Yep. So it's, uh, I was, was going to ask, go wrong. What, what, what is your relationship with fear? Because you, you, you talked about the frontline stuff, talked about the dangers with diving and all that kind of stuff. And But so many of these different programmes that you've done, for, for, for many other people, they, they'd look at the fear. But you don't run from these kind of things. But you, you're human. You must have like a... I think, a coping mechanism or something. I, I don't think it's because I'm brave at all, man. No? I honestly wet myself like everybody else. I, but then I think, how do you pass that then? If, if, if you're like everyone else, how do, what, what's your coping I think, mechanism? I think it's like anything. It's like, you know, if I started to learn to type tomorrow, I'd have a pretty slow speed. But if I, I've made 120 documentaries, a few of them in hostile environments, and you, as long as you... It's, it's also not just about me. I always like to point out this. There's a famous thing that on the YouTube that people like to watch where we got guns pulled on us in the jungle in, in, in Papua New Guinea. And I say, yeah, right. So I went, I went for the gun and tried to push it away, and then push the other gun away. But the cameraman was looking for a matchbox in black and white, and he had a gun in his back, and he didn't even know, and he carried on filming. Yeah. So you know, uh, you know, as they say, behind every great man there's a great woman, or behind every great presenter or uh, investigative <laughs> journalist there's an even better cameraman. Mm. So you know, it's a team effort. And also, what I love about making docs and and making this this one in particular was it was just a great team coming together yeah i didn't know neil brock who's the head of, of bristol channel diving but he's looked after blue planet and programs like that so he's a sort of legend in the business he was certainly taking no uh, no nonsense from mr kemp <laughs> get in the water boy uh, and i got in the water boy Joe, um, I, i've never i've never scuba dived in my entire life and it looks in, it looks interesting i think i'll probably be too scared to do it the bit that would freak me out is going backwards off the boat you know, oh, that's, that's, that'd be the worst bit ever. 
when think... you have to spit in your goggles afterwards, like you do when you go snorkeling. Well, it's a different kind of mask. It's it's a full face mask. It's it? got air pressure coming into it. It doesn't mist up very often. So what's the bit of it that you didn't like? Obviously, the, you know, you kind what of bit didn't I like? What did you uh, not like about the diving? I didn't like bit? it when my mask failed. I wet myself a bit there. My ears are thumping because you've got continuous banging in your ears, and as I'm breathing out, it's just bashing out the top of my head, so it's slapping the top of my bald head. Oh, and I was I was inside a ship at the time, so I wanted to get out of there, but I couldn't see much. And one of the times uh, off a wreck called the James Egan Lane, the shot line, which is what you use to position yourself on the wreck, and that's your way out, it's your lift out, even though you pull yourself up it or you drop yourself down by it. Uh, it hasn't got buttons that lift you up and down, funnily enough. Oh, damn. Um, it missed the back of the wreck. So the deeper you go, the more the quicker you burn your air up and the more nitrogen that stays in your system and that's where you get the danger of getting the bends. So we were supposed to land at about 24, 25 metres on the back of the boat and then go into one of the holds. Hmm. It was so... that The visibility was so bad, the shot line missed the boat, but then we hit the bottom. We were actually on the bottom of the, of the, of the sea, <laughs> right? And we're at 36 metres, which is close to 40, which is... It starts getting a bit really burny in terms of air. Yeah. And also, I couldn't see any of the other divers... So I, oh I, I lifted up my, my my dive computer, and they're supposed to be seen. You know, you could be able to see it from your wrist. I had to bring it up to my face to be able to see the lights on the dive computer. It was that murky. And Those dark. dive computers look amazing. Yeah, well, they, but the one I've got is quite big because I've got my short sight is going as I get older. <laughs> so I have to be rather. It's actually a block of the face of Big Ben when you're looking at it. But um, yeah, that was a little bit twitchy. And then when we came up, we went into the hole, and that's when my mask failed. So that was my worst dive but there was one off the Isle of Lundy that was just amazing there were seals in the water I had a cormorant dive past my I went the bird just went past me <laughs> and I'm at 28 metres <laughs> so you know there's things like that that happen are just amazing and the camaraderie on board I think that comes through and, and finding things it's just, it is like shaking hands with ghosts it's like you know, if you go to a museum, there's often a, a glass case around the things that you want to look at. Yeah. Um, and then even if you go to an archaeological dig, you can look at people, but there'll be a rope where the archaeologists are working. Well, if you, you go wreck diving, you're, you know, it's tangible. You're face-to-face -face with history. Mm. And um, I say I've always loved history. I think there's so many lessons that we haven't learned from history that we should have done, maybe. Um, that I think it's it's a great way of telling the naval history of, of this country and it has a very rich maritime past as an island it should do so these are, i mean these are tombs like you say that was it the m2 the submarine yeah that was emotional man. that must have been strange it yeah it was because you know that there were the 60 guys were trapped in it um it was an aircraft carrying submarine which you know they could launch in five minutes and it, it sunk between the wars um the guys were trapped forward and aft because the um, it would have been sealed off as they came up and went down, just in case, in the event of a disaster. Um, and they well, imagine what it must have been like in the darkness, oh, yeah, right, waiting for days and days as the air slowly ran out. And they even sent out; they found wood because there wasn't a lot of wood inside a you know a submarine, and they'd carved on it "M2 gone down off Chesil Beach, help SOS." And those bits of wood were found off the Cornish coast, two counties down, three weeks or four weeks after it had gone down. Yeah. Its mission was so secret, no one knew where mm. it was. So, you know, it's not lost on you, even though, you know, it is effectively a metallic tomb, that they're, you know, the souls of 60 people are inside that boat. Very brave, very young people who sadly lost their lives. Are they protected as well? I mean, I was thinking... That is, yeah, they, yeah they, a, lot, a lot of, um, uh, uh, of the battleships that sank with the loss of life are, uh, you know, 
are, are, are war graves and you, you can't go in them and you can't touch them and you can't take anything from them and that's only rightly so. Because the, the name of the show is almost slightly a little bit of a misnomer because Treasure Hunter, but you're, you're very respectful of what you're looking yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, well, you can only, the stuff we do bring up, uh, uh, you know, does give you this tangible, again, um, feel for history, but we can't go anywhere near something that's a war grave and I wouldn't want to. I think it would be disrespectful. But at the same time, you know, what one man's tre- treasure is another man's rubbish, you know, and for me, to find pipes, because my great-grandfather was called Popeye because he smoked a pipe, so to find pipes on the bottom was quite sweet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you would find 20-pound shells, um, teacups, um, all different types of things, but the real big stuff, obviously, we couldn't lift out, like finding those cannons. Yeah, you know, you're the first person that's come across those cannons. Yeah. In seven or six hundred years. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a real uh, odd feeling because then you realise what they were used for, and you feel slightly embarrassed or humbled by the fact that you're, you're excited mm. about finding them. But you are because it's a find, you know. How do you detach yourself, to, oh, sort of music-wise? See, sort of like quite a few shots of you driving around. Um, in the 4 by 4 to the dives and all that kind of stuff, but whether that's like part of the show or not, when you're making your way to something or, or you've just come back from it, as we've been talking about, some heavy stuff that you're going through. So you must have to sort of like have some kind of like escapism maybe into some music or other stuff that you're listening to. What, what, what kind of like relaxes you away from it? Gosh, um thinking about how I'm going to deal with the kids when I get home. <laughs> or is it just, no. is it that? Is it actually <laughs> silence? Do you I get in that silence car is good. But silence. silence in the water is good, but then this is innovative in terms of the fact that you've got two people chatting as mm. if they're on the surface, like we are now, but we're not. We're at 20 plus metres, 30 metres. Mm. Um, listen to music. The team, um, the director is a real 60s fanatic who wears 60s clothing. <laughs> and um, I never forget we were on a... Um, on a ship out in the up in Scarpa, which you know is the Orkney Islands, famed for its bad weather. It was like a force eight, and we were going to go in. That's like the edge of where you can actually start going in, because it's what happens to you when you get back on the surface and whether you can get back on board the the dive boat. Anyway, he's wearing a nylon blue <laughs> lapel top with corduroy <laughs> flares, and I went, Johnny, do you think you're dressed appropriately? How <laughs> oh, else would I? be dressed um, so there's a lot of 60s music played in the car funnily enough um, generally it's the crack I mean what I love about it is and, it, and it's no different from going off with the documentary team to El Salvador or Iraq or Libya or, or being with, 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 with armed forces or being you know with the national health I have to say you know there is a sense of humour that is maybe slightly more darker than most yeah. but that's what sees you through yeah. the day and if you didn't do that you'd end up in tears at the end of the day so yeah there's, um, there's a lot of uh, leg pulling and yep. Mickey taking, and it's often I'm at the brunt of that. And do you know what? I don't mind. As long as we, all get, we all get home in one piece. And so, I mean, it was amazing. You you became iconic. I think took yourself to the next level with your uh, your your Twitter videos during the Euros. It's brilliant, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. To see you kind of so uh, you know enthused and happy for the nations. We were kind of getting our way through this tournament. Will we see a, re- a repeat of that, Ross, during the World Cup? We're going to have weirdly in the winter. Do you know what I'd say about it? And I think the the reason that it it, it went viral the first one because it was genuine mm. and, it, and it's honest I think if you try to recreate something that isn't yeah I think people see through it you know I think now there's so much stuff out there and people are trying to influence people and do all that and I, that ship's definitely sailed for me because of how old I am so I think if you do it and it's genuine yeah then I think it works mm. I think if you try to plasticate it I think you shouldn't do it 
But you're not ruling it out for this I'm tournament. Not Let's rule see what I mean, look, look, at, look, look at the group we're in. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> but then again, you know what? I'll say that, and then America will go and beat us twelve nil, and Iran will beat us thirteen nil. So <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say. But I've got I've got high hopes of us qualifying if in that group presently. But we might get Wales, we might get Scotland, and also the whole world's going to want Ukraine to win, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It's interesting you talk about like being genuine Ross there um, because when uh, my wife and I were watching um, the first episode of uh, Shipwreck Treasure Hunter mm. we're, uh, we get to the first break and uh, she turns to me and she goes it's funny you're going to uh, be uh, chatting to him because uh, she said I had, a, I had a massive thing for, for Ross Kemp uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't know that and she said yeah she said I had uh, I had a sex dream about him and um, oh my word it's coming out of left field here <laughs> it is. where are we going what time do we go out what time is this we can go and grab the bus if we want Ross we'll get out <laughs> She said for about five months after. She said, I, I, I was just watching everything he was on. Um, <laughs> I, mate, I'm, I'm with you on this, Ross. I have no idea what's going so on. So my question is, yes. what, what has been... <laughs> what is your question? <laughs> I've never met my wife. No. Um, it, what was sort of like the, the peak time that you were getting sort of like, uh, you know, the, the attention was, was it, was it Grant? Yeah, or, or has it been sort of like when you've been doing all these amazing things? I think I mean I, I'm an old man, so I've been around a bit now. Um, Not for my wife, apparently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, um, I would suggest that you know I think we all go through different stages in our lives. Yeah, and, you know, for, if 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 you go back to 24, 25 year old Ross that was being watched, you know, or part of a cast that was being watched by twenty five million people twice a week, then repeated for an hour or an hour and a half on a Sunday. Yeah. Of course, that's going to go to your head. Yeah. And of course, you end up being a twit. And I was a twit. <laughs> a right twit. I was lucky that I carried on playing rugby all the way through it. So, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I went training. And Saturday, someone tried to batter me. And I don't mean like a piece of fish. Like a weekly grinding. Yeah, like grounding, yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, therapy, to mm. be honest with you. And I probably needed it. Would you, would you ever go back to EastEnders? Do you think no, like you can, you can. I don't think when you get to my age, you rule anything out, you know. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, talking about how you change, I think, yeah, when when you're exposed to that kind of continuous, and there was no internet, really, mm. you know, there weren't 500 channels, there were four channels. And, yeah. and I, you know, the cast of EastEnders were on one of the biggest ones. And so, yeah, that was a very weird time, I look back on it. And I think some people got screwed up by it, some people managed to surf their way through it, and I managed to come out the other end. And, and I think travelling around the world, seeing what the real world's about, rather than maybe a a world that's manufactured yeah. and seeing, you know, appreciating just how lucky I am yep. to live in a country like this um, yeah, has, has sort of grounded me a bit more mm. and, you know, God, I still I still enjoy a giggle and I still still enjoy, uh, you know, a beer but um, I'm not the man I was when I was 25, thank the Lord <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you make a point there about, you know you're no stranger to war zones, you've been in some incredibly dangerous situations and so on uh, but these have always seemed like, you know, say Afghanistan far away places, did you ever think in your lifetime you would see a, a, a conflict going on in, in Europe, like we've got at the moment it must, for well, someone who's been on a front line, well, it's crazy I was in Mariupol, you see, um, five and a half years ago, just after the 2016 just after the, the 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 russians went into crimea we went there and made a documentary i drove there uh with uh out of kiev um in a uh, skoda jeep Great. with my with the team uh our small but loyal team and um even then uh, the ukrainians were under no illusion that that, that this was possibly going to happen because they want to have a port on the on that main part um of the black sea so you know uh, my heart 
goes out to everybody in Ukraine, but particularly Mariupol, because they knew it was coming. And even then, they were practicing with like, you know, I think it's called soft air. They couldn't afford bullets to practice their manoeuvres. I went up to the front line. Um, we didn't know that we'd gone over into Russian lines. We tried to drive away the next day back to Kiev and the car wouldn't work because oh the hire company in Kiev had seen on satellite that we got into Russian lines. Oh. It's the first oh. time I've ever seen my team nearly come to blows with each wow. other. We were so desperate to get out of Dodge. Um, uh We'd be mortared, and it wasn't the mortars we were worried about. It hit a roof full of asbestos, so we thought we'd be breathing asbestos. (laughs) So, you know... And that was a be- was a beautiful place, Mariupol, wasn't it? Bits of it. I mean, it's an industrial port set town. I mean, I think it would be... Re- I don't think it's Odessa, uh, from what... I've never been to Odessa, but Odessa is a you know, pu- very but, but famously beautiful town. Buildings it's in a, be- like, it's in a that, beautiful yeah. part, and the Black Sea is a great, beautiful area, I think, mm. parts of it. Um, but even then, the, bri- the main bridge coming in from, from the east was mined. You know, they were... They, they knew, sadly, what they were facing, and unfortunately, what they were facing became a reality, a true reality. Would you ever, would you ever go back and film there now with the situation? Of if someone asked me, I've got, to, I've got to have a broadcaster that wants me to go there. Mm, Without, in a heartbeat, I would go back there. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like you say, you, you're no stranger to taking on kind of conflicting issues and, and difficult issues. Tell us a little bit about uh, the, the the series that you've got out at the moment, where you've been trying to track down the the animals that were part of the Neverland. Complex. Yeah, uh, we went out for over a month and a bit, um, and we just wanted to find out what happened to the animals of Neverland because they were as iconic as as, as Michael Jackson were, were, was or were for a period of time, and he was, you know, the biggest entertainer probably the world had ever seen you know yeah um and he was heavily influenced and talked about uh, you know how much he cared for animals and and we wanted to find out what happened to them yeah and uh okay and and you uh well, did we track any doubt we did we found one of the elephants bubba in um in oregon of all places and at the time she was eating poison oak and i was that close to her that when she spat out bits of it they landed on your arm <laughs> it burns poison oak she can eat it but if it lands on a <laughs> wow. human's flesh it burns a bit <laughs> wow so many crazy things you've been involved in so i mean you, finding elephants oh, michael jackson's elephants in oregon was quite weird <laughs> <laughs> well um it, what what next for ross kemp what's anything on the horizon that uh i'm working on a documentary at the moment um the, which will be controversial um if we can get it make made but it, you know what the, the thing for me guys is it, it's about the access and again it, and it's about being genuine you've got to be genuine you've got to be honest um and i'm not going to make something that's even close to being faked up i've never have done and i don't intend to do it now to so say we're 120 odd documentaries in and we've always prided ourselves on trying to walk the line without taking sides and also prided ourselves on the fact that everything you see is backed up mm. three times to make sure that it's absolute truth and if you can't do that i said absolute then you get it thanks very, very much good. um um if you can't do that then i'm not going to begin to make the film so i won't say what it is yet until i've made it but once i have i will be back here with you guys talking all about it can't wait excellent and we'll find out how the doi products have gone on at home <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, Ross, an honour to have you on the show. Uh, check out Shipwreck Treasure Hunter Sky History. You can catch up with the latest couple of episodes there as well. Ross Kemp, thank you. Thank you.